Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. This week, Dustin and I are going to explore two questions together. First, are there some things that we do as parents that place undue pressure on our children as they play sports? And second, do athletes feel like they need to tough their way through some things that they really should get help for, especially when it comes to mental health? Let's explore those together. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. What's up, Dustin? I'm doing well. Doing well. It's a fun time of year. Everyone's back to school and football's getting going. Girls' soccer's getting going. Volleyball. Favorite time of the year. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Recently, there have been some events, you know, that we really do focus on as a program. And you and I have been talking about that, that inspired us to, to, for the subject matter of this podcast today. And so, so tell us what's been going on. Yeah. So I talked to you just recently about um, a discussion I wanted to have with you, Shad, and this is the best time of the year for me. I love it. I'm, I'm a football coach and a, and a football guy and, and uh, love the fall and everything about it. So this is school starting up. It's such a great, great time of the year, but with all of those things also come, unfortunately, it seems like every year, some negative news and some things that, uh, you know, that are hard to stomach. Um, we, and especially for athletes, for those of you that don't know the rest of the program, you just know us from the podcast, you know, we like to come on here and talk about things and hopefully provide, you know, some discussion points and some things that get people thinking and, and it, it helps us and in our pre- preparing our messages and presentations that we give. Um, we've talked, given hundreds and hundreds of presentations to thousands and thousands of kids and parents and coaches. Um, I just, just two days ago was up at a high school speaking to a bunch of athletes and on my way home uh, was sent a text message from a, uh, an athletic director at a school two or three hours away from, from uh, where we live, but it's one of the schools that we work with. and, And there are dozens of those schools that we do some training with. Anyway, this particular athletic director was notifying me of a, their rival school, um, and uh, the 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 an athlete at that rival school, a football player, had just committed suicide, and he wanted me to know that because we also worked with that school and didn't know if I had heard or not of of the situation. And I'm aware of the school, of course. I've, I've spoke there several times. I'm aware of the football program, and the, they actually have a a super good team this year. And, um, but my mind immediately went to four or five different things. First of all, the family of the young man, um, the coach and the, the players on that team, the, and then, and then eventually kind of settled on, all right, what happened and why, and how could we have prevented it? And that's sort of the difficulty of doing what we do with, especially for athletes is that we literally receive, have received thousands of emails from kids and uh, and parents and most of those emails are very positive they're uh, talking about how the message of eyes up do the work has helped uh, their their child or helped themselves but every once in a while 
there's been hundreds of them that are sometimes really hard to read. Uh, and you'll hear about kids who are in bad shape and parents who are in bad shape. And so that's kind of the reality of when you go down this road of discussing topics like this in a public setting or diving into the lives of people and kids and things, sometimes things surface that are hard to hard to stomach. And, and as I was driving and thinking more about this, I started thinking where, you know, is there anything that could have been done to prevent it? And this is the hard thing with suicide is that you, you go there, you go to what could we have done? And sometimes the answer to that is there wasn't much, right? It just, it happens. It's there's, you can kick yourself and feel guilty forever that maybe I should have done this or we could have done that. And, and oftentimes that's not, there's nothing anybody could have done that could have prevented it. But it just got me thinking that maybe this week would be a good time to sort of talk a little bit about uh, how we can better prepare ourselves for dealing with people we know that might be struggling and see warning signs of that, but then also some mental health stuff and personally how we address those situations. And I remembered you, Shad, uh, a year or two ago in a presentation that we did uh, using the example and ironically with it being the you know, first of September, you know, you used the example of the Twin Towers on September 11th, you know, 20 years ago. And uh, I, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and ask you to kind of share that analogy again, and then maybe discuss uh, together some of this mental health stuff with athletes, the identity of athletes, and how as parents, we need to be careful with the pressure we're putting on kids because this, uh, unfortunately, this suicide thing, it's a problem that isn't going away anytime soon, I don't think. Yeah. You know, that the September 11th example, I wish I could give credit to the psychologist that we study these things very frequently. And if we present on them, we read up on them. You know, yeah. we study literature on it. We have a member of our board that we run everything by before we ever present. Because some of the things that even some well-meaning organizations do to go out and, and present about suicide they found if you do it in the wrong way, it could actually contribute more to the yeah. problem. And so we try to be very, very scientific based in the way we address these situations. And we do a lot of study. And, and in doing that, um, I came across an analogy, you know, that those horrible moments where people were hanging from the windows on September 11th um, and there was an inferno on the inside and and then a fall on the outside and and they were left with this choice and and what the psychologist was saying is that people who commit suicide often we look at them and we go why would they do that like why why in the world would they take their own life none of us on September 11th who saw the people jumping from buildings were questioning what was going on mm -hmm. we knew that the inside of that building, the hell that was going on in the inside of that building, the heat, the fire, just became more fearful to the people than the fall. They, they didn't want to fall. They didn't want to jump from the building. And the psychologist made the point that, that many people who commit suicide, it's, they don't want to. It's just in their mind the the fall to stick with that analogy is is a better option than the flames what they're facing in their life 
the the inner turmoil, the the anxiety, the depression, the the dark thoughts they're having is just so tortuous to them that taking their own life seems like the easier option. And so understanding that brings about a few questions that, that I think would be valuable for us to discuss. It is a false dichotomy. The, the thing is, is on September 11th, if there was a helicopter that was flying around that was putting out a ramp, there would have been a lot of people who would choose that helicopter. Right? Yeah. Everyone would have chose that helicopter that day. They, they didn't want to die. Uh, and, and sometimes people, when they're in a state of, of depression, anxiety, when it's really bad, they just, they don't see that third option. That third option's there. There is help for these things. There, there are doctors and there are medications and there are people in their lives that on September 11th that would throw them a lifeline that would allow them to not face the flames or the fall. Mm-hmm. But mental health problems have, have this way of making people think that there is this, this choice, either I die or I face this my whole life. And so, so that brings up the question for me is I think there's an athletic component that I know we talked about before that combination sometimes between sports and being tough and just getting through stuff and ice is for lemonade. You don't need to, you know, that you just tough your way through may prevent some athletes from getting the help that they need, or just people have set them up so much that sport light, like they're so awesome. They're a great student. They're a great athlete. They're a good looking kid. And then they feel like, man, if I admit that I'm having these health struggles or whatever, then that's kind of a chink in my armor. And all these people have me up on this pedestal and, and that, then that pedestal, they'll realize I'm not perfect or, or something, you know, I don't know exactly so there's that athletic component that maybe we could talk about a little bit today and how we can eliminate that so that athletes who are going through this see the helicopter. Yeah. And then and then also what can we do as people are trying to hold on and our organization has a lot to this is a lot of why it exists. How do we lower that temperature in the building? Are there some things we could do to lower the temperature in people's lives? even if it's at one degree that allows them to hold on for a minute. Mm-hmm. I'd just love to get your, your thoughts yeah. on those things. Maybe the athletic component first. Yeah. And some things we've talked about that have been in the news recently with Simone Biles and, and some other Olympians, just what would you say to athletes who feel like it's weakness to get, to tell someone, a mom, a dad, a, a coach that I need I'm feeling these feelings and I need help. What would you say to that well, athlete first? Fortunately, we're we've evolved um in in our understanding of this a little bit in the last 20 or so years. It's crazy to me to think how we used to approach this. Even back when I was, you know, in high school or when we were in college and playing, is you know, back then if if you got your head hit hard and you came off the field you would literally sometimes have smelling salt put underneath your nose to wake you up. And as long as you could tell the person in front of you, their name, and you knew where you were, 
and you could walk, you were good enough to go back on the field. Right. Um, you know, nowadays, if a, if, if a kid gets hit hard at all, um, it's an immediate trainers looking at that person and there's an immediate test that's done. And, and in most cases out of the game and several days of protocol and rest and things. So we're, we've gotten better with the barbaric nature of how we treat brains and things in sports, the physical, um, stuff. the physical stuff. Yeah. The problem is that, and we're doing better on the mental side. Um, even back then, if, if somebody said they were depressed or if somebody said they were feeling anxious or something like that, it, it was the, 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 the image that was placed on you is you're not tough, right? You need to, what do you mean you're depressed? Like figure it out. And, and good news is, is we've evolved and we're better. We're still not there yet, but we're better. I, I'm, I, we're getting better to, uh, or, or closer to that point. I, I hope we'll get there sooner of treating a person's mental condition the same way we would treat their physical condition. If I have somebody on a team I'm coaching who has a hamstring pull, there's a bunch of methods and, and protocol and things that I'm aware of and doctors and things I know that are going to do some things to help heal that as fast as possible. Um, and we understand it's part of the game. Those kind of things happen, bumps and bruises and pulled muscles and broken bones and things. But when it comes to somebody being mentally not all there because of a mental health issue, it's still something that we think, ah, stop it, right? Toughen up. Let's go. You're fine. And the truth is, is that they're they're the same. And you could even make the argument that the mental health issue might be more detrimental to the play of the athlete on the field as the hamstring would be. If you're going out there and your mind is somewhere else, you can't focus or your your confidence or you're you're dealing with something at home or there's there's an issue that you're fighting in your brain and you're anxious and you're 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 uptight over it. And then you're expected to go out and hit a golf shot or hit a tennis ball or to perform on it in a, on a dance routine or something, and you don't do it properly. Well, of course you didn't. We would then say you need to work harder. You didn't train hard enough. You didn't practice as much as you should have. Nobody seems to go and want to sit down with that kid and say, are you okay? Is there something going on mentally that we should address? And the reason for that and it, it, I think it ties under our, our third principle and, and especially for athletes, and that is resiliency, is I think we have this misunderstanding of what resiliency is when it relates to mental health. I'd make the argument that because this was me, if I had anything like this going on, I would say, well, the resilient thing to do would be just suck it up and tough my way through it. Stop, be, stop worrying about it. You're fine. Go out there and do what you have to do, right? Mm -hmm. That's resiliency. That's tough. Um, the truth is that's the easier option. The harder option would actually be to go and ask somebody for help mm -hmm. because that would require me to have to admit that I need help mm -hmm. and be humble enough to admit that I need help. And for me, and I'm, I'm guessing for you and for a lot of people listening to that, that's the harder of those two options. But that's the only way that we get help. Um, we can't expect people to just see it and know that we're struggling we need to talk to our people around us, especially to our kids about it's okay to come out and to discuss it. And they need to feel safe to come out and to discuss it. Michael Phelps, who uh, suffered from mental health, not a lot of people knew it because Michael Phelps was doing his thing 15 years or so ago and mm -hmm. you didn't talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Michael Phelps said this, it was something I, I thought was interesting um, about mental health. He said, we're supposed to be big, macho, physical, strong human beings, but this is not a weakness. We are seeking and reaching for help. And he's talking on behalf of athletes that we're, we're, 
we're reaching for help. We're trying to get help, but we're supposed to be invincible. We're supposed to be untouchable and unbreakable and, and, and not have these things affect us. And so now Simone Biles comes along in this recent Olympics and she does what she does, pulling herself out of routines that she was, the whole world was waiting to see her do this just unbelievable, you know, routines. But what she said after I thought was really interesting on Twitter, and this can go, this goes down another road that we've discussed in the past. She said, the outpouring of love and support that I've received has made me realize I'm more than my accomplishments and I'm more than gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. So in other words, the relief, right, that she felt knowing I'm not just an athlete. I'm not just a gymnast that people are paying to come watch, entertain and perform. I'm actually a human being and people care about me for more than just the flips and the, you know, the, the, the athletic uh, accomplishments that I do, they care about me as a person. And to her, that was a revelation. Yeah. A revelation. <laughs> and how sad is that? Right. That, yeah. that some of our youth, some of these athletes, and I would tell parents that this, I've seen this many times, they feel um, sustained and they feel supported and they feel that you're proud of them only when they're performing well in their sport, which is sad. Mm -hmm. If they're not performing well in their sport, sometimes parents even remind their kids how much I'm paying for you. Do you know how much it costs for me to give you all of this? Do you know how much time and effort it takes me to get you to all these places? And so what kind of pressure does that put on the kid now to go and perform? And when the only time mom or dad are really happy and really adamant about their, their, how proud they are of their kid is when they go to social media and post a picture of their son's two home runs mm -hmm. or of their daughter's performance and how beautiful she was today. And I'm so proud of her because she won is the same amount of pride shown when they lose. Yeah. Right. Um, when the kid grows up in social media, which our kids nowadays, that's all their life is known. And the only time they feel validated is when they see a picture taken and then they're put online Otherwise, they must have not done something wrong. That sends a trigger to them that I'm not doing well and mom and dad aren't happy for me and I'm not being posted about. People aren't commenting on it. And so, of course, they're going to fall into a state of maybe of depression and loneliness and I'm not good enough. And then that's going to lead to other areas and the temperature rises and the pressure rises. And just like you talked about with the building, all of a sudden, there's this, there's not a way out. I can't make them proud. What they don't realize is there is a way out. It's not the end of the world. And we have to make sure that we're not making sports and their accomplishments in sports be the end all of, you know, the, the, the ultimate goal. And if you don't become all state or get a scholarship or something, I'm disappointed in your son. Yeah. And there is another option. Yeah. And there's sports could be a release instead of a source of stress. It should be, you yeah. know, it, it should be that I, and I don't think any parent ever intends to, uh, to do that. I think they, they are legitimately proud of yeah, their children, absolutely. but we, we've talked about in the past, almost every expert that we have come on and people with their life experiences. I remember when Max Hall came on and talked about the same thing Simone Biles did, you know, yeah. when, when that sport light shut off on him and all of a sudden, you know, he had this issue he was dealing with of addiction, but he's like this 
BYU quarterback, this clean cut kid from a good family yeah. from, a, you know, and all of a sudden he's like, I can't let anyone know that I'm struggling with this addiction <laughs> to the point that he secretly tried to go about getting help for it, which only dug himself into a deeper hole. Well, and in his mind, he had just finished starting in some NFL football games, beating Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints, who had just won the Super Bowl. He did it in his hometown. He's from Arizona. He's starting for the Arizona Cardinals. He beats Drew Brees. He gets a concussion. He jacks up his shoulder. I, but in his mind, like he said, I was a football player and I would do whatever. He didn't see himself as Max Hall, the friend and Max Hall, the brother and the husband, the husband and the father. He was yeah. just, he was a quarterback and he would take whatever in his mind. If I'm not a quarterback, I'm nothing. So I have to be a quarterback. And all of a sudden he didn't have access to the same quarter doctors and medicine and things. Cause he wasn't part of the team anymore. And he found it in other sources mm -hmm. and he ended up, you know, being arrested and his story is, is, uh, is one of redemption and of, of overcoming it, which right. is awesome. Which is great. But, yeah. Yeah. We're, our kids are more than basketball players and football players. We have to make sure they know that. And it's almost like by trying to hold up an image sometimes in regard to these mental health, and I would put what, what Max was going through and addiction and other things, right? It's right there in the mental health category, you sure. know, addiction, yeah. anxiety, depression, they're very related sometimes. Um, but there are, there also seems to be sometimes this connection with the upholding of an image. And if I hear you correctly, if we're not careful as parents, we can create that fictional image that our kids are trying to hold up, yeah. you know, through only concentrating on the good or only giving attention to those um, accomplishments to, instead to of the, the process, podium, right? Yeah, yeah. The podium instead of the process. And, and so maybe, and now in saying that, and, you know, there's another analogy in the mental health world of, you know, a pot boils over at 100 degrees, right? And, and sometimes there's these 99 degree issues. And then there's like this one degree thing that happens that sometimes the pot boils over. And we look at that one degree and act like it was the all 100 yeah. degrees. We might be talking about some one degree issues here. A lot of times, the under like there is an underlying health issue, a chemical imbalance, a um, some real emotional things that need to be worked through. If if we can lower the temperature of the pot, if it wasn't burning, simmering at ninety nine degrees, then a girl breaking up or uh, or noticing, oh, mom and dad didn't post about me or whatever that those little one degree things don't make that much of a difference. They make yeah. a difference, but it's the 99 degree issue. And it's just so sad to me when athletes feel like I have this image to hold up. Everyone thinks I'm perfect. I'm the all American kid. So if I go get help, it's, it's, it's going to crack that podium that people have put me on. And, and I just, I see a connection there sometimes that I hope, coaches, as, as we've talked about before, uh, we had Sheldon Martin on and he said, you know, look for kind of two, two extremes. When someone's really considering taking their own life, they'll often like become like really almost awkwardly trying to make last connections, giving stuff away again, you know, making purchases for people, just trying to last connections. 
So sometimes it's it's like, man, they were so happy. We don't know what happened. But what we're seeing is kind of this spike and I want to make connections with people for the last time. And then the the other is just the down where they're careless, they're in despair. And, and so if we see things and have our eyes up and we're looking for things, coaches might be in a position too to take a kid aside and say, hey, are you okay? Or generally talk to a team and yeah. say, listen, it's not flames or fall. Yeah. There's the helicopter and, and you have to know that there's this help out there because when someone's in that situation, they don't think there's a helicopter. They, they think that that false dichotomy of flames or fall is their only choice. Mm-hmm. So we have to overtly help them see the helicopter. And since we can't see everything people are going through, just having discussions like this and telling like, look, if you start feeling this, it's not true. And maybe if that's in their brain before they face it, they'll start looking for a helicopter and we can help them find it. Well, I, and I think that you mentioned the coaches, um, anybody that's in a position where they're involved with, uh, with our youth, where they can maybe get our child in a situation um, where they're maybe a little more comfortable discussing um, for some, for some, you know, in many cases, a child is more likely to open up to a coach or open up to a, maybe it's a dad of one of their close friends, but it's not their own dad. It's not their own mom who they feel a little bit of maybe fear to talk to, or they don't want to see dad be disappointed in them, but, but they've built a relationship with a coach a relationship with somebody else where maybe they'll, they will share something. And it, it sort of goes to that, you know, that uh, analogy of it takes a village to, you know, to raise, to raise a child. And I really think it does. I think we all need to be interested in each other and our children. And it takes all of us. Um, there was a book written 20 years ago by George Durant uh, who lives in Utah. Uh, his son was a really good basketball player at BYU uh, years ago. And, and the book is called a dad, a boy in a ball. It's a real simple book. It's like maybe 40 pages. And, but it's very, the, the message of the book is he would talk about they, their love for basketball and how, when he would move around for his job or whatever it was, the first thing he would make sure the house that he got had a basketball court or had room for him to put a basketball court in because he knew on that basketball court with the ball and with my son, that's where we had our moments. That's where we had our discussions. And as I read that years and years ago, and I remember it struck with me, the importance to make sure that we're, when we have these conversations with our, our sons and daughters, that we're having them in, in locations and in, in an environment in which they feel open. This idea of, hey, son, come to my den. We need to have a chat, right? Or how many kids are going to react positively to mom and dad saying, hey, will you come back to our room? We need to talk to you for a minute. Yeah. There's an immediate defense mechanism that's going to go up. What did I do? Right. Yeah. I'm in trouble. There's this immediate, I, I better be careful what I say. But when you're out there doing what your son loves, whatever that is, or your daughter loves, whatever that is, and you can you're visiting with them and you, now you're their friend, right? You're not, you're, 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 you get them in a comfortable moment. And that's the time to maybe ask, hey, son, how's school? What's going on? Let's talk about something other than the game coming up. You know, what, what's bothering you in life and, and get them in some in a comfortable setting. And, and so for those of us involved in the athletic world, we get kids in those settings. We have them at a very impressionable age and in a very impressionable environment at practice or on a bus or whatever. And they get to know us in these situations. There are some opportunities there if our eyes are up. 
And if we're intentional and looking for these things, I think in most cases we'll realize it's better to err on the side of being nosy maybe than to not, I need to talk to him, you know, and Hey, before you leave practice, come over here for a second and get out the football and play catch with them. And just what's going on. You know, something seems off. And um, I, I had a conversation with the football team that I coach just yesterday. I mean, it, it was a 20 minute. We didn't, we only practiced for an hour yesterday. And I, I decided as a coach that this was going to be more important. And in fact, I told them what I'm going to tell you now is more important than any drill we're going to do today. I want to talk to you for a minute about that third option that you just discussed. Um, that there is a way out that if you're struggling with these things, what real resiliency is, is you got to come and talk to me and talk to your parents and, we, we, and then your teammates. And I told the teammates, you have to be interested in your friend and your teammates off the field. You have to be interested in their lives outside of, do they know how to make the block or make the tackle? And that's what a real teammate is. And, and if you see something at all, that's out of line, what, again, err on the side of being nosy. What's the worst that could happen? Chad, if you and I played college baseball together, if I'm, if I'm sensing something's offline with you and I ask you about it and you tell me, no, I'm good. Everything's fine. No issues at all. But I just, my heart's going to, I think, tell me something's wrong. I have two options. I can just say, hey, I did my job. I asked him. He told me he was good. Right. And move on. Or uh-uh, something's off. I know him better. I'm a friend. I, I know him. And I go talk to a coach or I go talk to your parents, or I go talk to a counselor at school or whatever. And they call you in and they sit with you and they say, Hey, there's some people worried about you. And you say, was it, was it Dustin? <laughs> it actually was. And you get mad at me and maybe there was nothing wrong. The mm-hmm. worst that's going to come out of it is you and I are going to have a discussion and you're going to say, why did you go and tell my mom or dad that you were worried about me? And I'm going to have to say, cause I care for you. And you're going to be mad at me for a minute. And then you're going to realize my intentions were good. It came from a good place and we're going to move on. The alternative is maybe there was something going on and I choose not to be a little bit more nosy or engaged. And I just turn and say, Hey, I asked, I did my part, even though my heart tells me there's something going on there, I'm going to move on. And it turns out the flames were hotter than I thought they were right. And you just didn't want to tell me. And then that leads to some, you know, rash decision at last minute and something happens. And then I wouldn't be able to live with myself for that. Right. I'd be, I'd feel horrible. So I just feel like we schools just started. Our kids are still, this last year has been a lot for everybody, but especially for them. We need to stop telling them as well that they're these millennials that are lazy and that they can't, Everything's given to them and all of this that we this narrative we sometimes feed these kids. They're 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 great kids who are much more talented and smarter and sharper than we were at their age. And I can say that because I'm around them almost every well, I am every day for years and years and years. So are you. Um we need to make sure they know how awesome they really are, but also the need for them to talk that there is that third option that the flames in the fall is not the only option. There are resources to help them, but that they need to talk and we need to make sure that we provide the environment so that they maybe feel more comfortable talking or that we go and reach out to people that might have a different, you know, a different Avenue to our child's heart and say, could you help me with this there? I'm worried and get the help we can because the alternative is it's horrible, right? As you hear these stories, it's, it's every, you know, every 15 minutes or so in America, a young person is attempted suicide. It's, uh, it's, it's unacceptable in my opinion. 
Well, and it reminded me of when we had Sheldon on, um, and Sheldon's the one that we go to for a lot of our mental health stuff and uh, that we do in our presentations, make sure we're doing that in a healthy way. But he, he gave us the acronym ACT, A-C-T, ask. If you think something's going on in someone's life, ask, and then care, and then tell somebody. And, um, and just that asking, Hey, are you okay? You know? Um, and, and, you know, like you just said, you got to love your friend more than your friendship. Yeah. Even if it costs you a friendship, if you see something's off, if you, there's other things too, that we haven't touched on a little bit, but sometimes there's this thing that happens that's called self-medicating. Um, kids are afraid to go get help for their anxiety, depression, but you know, it's not, uh, sometimes it's not as, um, they feel like it's not as taboo to be a kid who drinks or who smokes weed or who does that. And so they're feeling these feelings. And sometimes when they don't get the help, we just look at them and go, Oh, that kid's a drunk. That kid's a, a, a pothead, you know? a lot of times what's going on is they're self-medicating that they have these feelings and for them, they're, they're choosing the wrong helicopter, you know, that they, they aren't getting the help that they need and they turn to these other things. So sometimes it's not just like, okay, this kid looks depressed. Or if you see a friend making really bad choices, just go to them and dude, what's up, man? Like you're drinking a ton or why are you always smoking or like those questions ask, and then care and then tell somebody because often those are manifestations of a deeper problem. They're trying to self-medicate a deeper problem. They aren't just being a rebellious pothead, yeah. you know? And so all these things just uh, very important, but that ask, care, and tell. If you wonder what to do, ask. And then care enough to do something for them, like care for them in that moment. I'm so sorry you're going through that. I'm so like, just be there in that moment with them and tell a counselor, tell a coach, tell a parent. Well, that's the do the work part of what we always preach. What's on our wristbands. What's part, you know, the the motto of our program is eyes up, do the work, eyes up, being aware, seeing and recognizing and understanding the signs and, and seeing it saying, there it is. That's great but it really doesn't do much if there's not then the action behind it. Mm-hmm. And that's the caring and telling and asking part, right? That we're doing the work afterwards and that's it's right. going to be work sometimes. Yeah, it's, It legitimately is work. It might be difficult. It might be multiple conversations and, and really have to dig in and want to get our feet dirty a little bit with this discussion. Cause it's not a fun discussion to have, Yeah, but it has to be, like I said, air on the side of, of loving and caring too much versus that's yeah, everything's okay. Well, and, and parents and coaches, and I just picture you, a high school football coach, you know, you're just on the, on the field, standing there, whistle, you know, everything and just, uh, Hey, you okay. Yeah. Everything good in your life right now. You know, if there was ever anything bad in your life, I'm just one person in your life. You could tell, right. I mean, even just those little things when our kids are growing up, um, you know, Sheldon mentioned that statistics say if someone's thinking about hurting themselves and you ask them, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Most of the time, if they're legitimately thinking about it, they will tell you because what they're facing is that flames versus fall. They don't want to jump sometimes. They don't want to hurt themselves. Yeah, they don't want to. And so if you're up there and you're, you know, someone's in that 
they're facing that horrible decision. If you say, Hey, are you thinking of jumping? They will tell you, yes, the flames are too hot. Like I can't take it anymore. And so, you know, statistics suggest that asking so parents can just on those car rides, just, are you doing okay? You know, if you were ever having a hard time, I hope you would never not tell me or Mm -hmm. think I'd be ashamed or, you know, just let them know there's, there's other options come to me. I will help you. And having those open conversations and those very natural occurring moments, the ride home from a game or a practice, or we have these wonderful things built into our athletes lives where we can just have these other conversations and just assuring them, look, I'm proud of you, but if there was ever anything going on, man, I will yeah, I will climb that building to help you. And that's that they need to know the why. Why is it that you pay for their sports? Why is it that you you spend all this time taking into these sports? Make sure they understand. I mean, really, I think it's a question we should ask our kids. Do you know why I love watching you play? Do you know why I it's not because when you're sad striking out and you're, or you, you made a mistake and I know you're hurting. I don't, of course I don't like that, but here's why I'm doing it. I want you to learn these lessons because you're going to need to know them for life. I don't expect you to be the very best all the time. You know that, right? I don't expect you to, to be an all state or to be an all American or to get a scholarship. I don't even expect you to make the team. I expect you to work really hard and try your very hardest and whatever, win or lose, I'm proud of you and I love you and you're always safe at my home and with, and you know that, right? And make sure that our sons and daughters understand that and then complement their process rather than focusing so much on the reward, on the podium, like we talked about in a previous podcast, the process over podium so that our kid knows regardless of whether or not they hit a home run or not. Mom and dad still love them. They're still proud of them. And their, their, their satisfaction doesn't have to come from, did mom take a picture and post it tonight or not? Because Mm -hmm. if, and and if that's doing the work as parents, we have to be aware of that and and make sure we're, we're doing it. The attitude and effort, the things in their control, just talk about those things all the time. And the other stuff, who cares? I mean, it's just, uh, uh, that's well, thanks Dustin. I think that's such a, a critical critical topic for us to continue to talk about. And every time one of these events happen, our heart breaks for the family in no way. When these things happen, we're always kind of hesitant to go to a school because in no way do we ever want to go to a school or someone and say, well, you know, if you would have done this and this and this, there's way more variables than that. We totally get that. But if by talking about this more could help one kid, not one family, not go through um, what families go through when someone takes their life, it, it'd be totally worth it. Yeah. It'd be totally worth it. So can I, can I switch topics? That's kind of a heavy topic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> you know, so it's rivalry week here in Utah, you know, um, BYU versus Utah. And it's so fun. I, I love I love this week. Um, you're, you're one of those diehard fans. I'm not oh, going to tell the audience who, but I know yeah. how much of a fan you are. And I'm not. I'm a, I am a on the fence guy yeah. with, with football. Yeah. But I, you know, as you and I have both been doing this for long enough now that a lot of the athletes that we've worked with now, I, there's kids every single game I watch almost in the Pac 12 or, or in here in Utah. There's kids that I know that I've worked with. So it's really hard to like, cheer against uh, yeah. against anybody you know yeah. so that's softening that's softening but this rivalry week um one of our key components is to compete without contempt yeah 
without hatred in your heart. I'd love to a quote that we shared on our on our social media channels a, a few weeks ago. It was in Urban Meyer's book um, Above the Line, but he said uh, it was like G.K. Chesterton or this uh, English philosopher. But he said the true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves who is behind him. Mm-hmm. And uh, just this, you're competing because you love your team, you love your community, you love your college in this case, you, um, not because you hate the people on the other side. Yeah. And just as we go into this rivalry week, as we've had discussions with Eric Weddle, with Ty Detmer, you know, these yeah. other, when they talk about the rivalry, I think there's some good things for us fans to hear about. But yeah. what would you say about a healthy rivalry week as we go into it? Well, we've had, we've interviewed, you know, guys who have been all pros uh, from both of those schools. Yeah. Um, longtime NFLers, obviously Ty was a Heisman trophy. Eric Weddle's going to be in the hall of fame. Chad Lewis was an all pro. Um, they all played in that game. And if you're listening to us from out of state, there's other rivalries in your state that are probably intense as this uh, BYU and University of Utah rivalry is. I remember growing up, how intense it was and being around it. It's not as intense for me personally now, because I've got kids on both sides of the, the, the team that I work with in both my quarterback training football business, as well as obviously, especially for athletes. I mean, last night we turned on the TV and there were two pack 12 games going on and both quarterbacks were kids. I trained and they both had their eyes up, do the work wristband on, which yeah. was awesome. Um, and, and, and they're friends with each other, but here they are playing. But yeah, Ty Detmer and his, when we did his podcast, you know, a couple months ago, I remember him saying something along the lines of it's a game. It's intense. We want to win it, but I didn't grow up. He's from Texas. Yeah. Right? He didn't know who the university of Utah was. And he comes out here and second game of the year, whatever I'm playing this team from Salt Lake and it's Utah. He doesn't know those kids. Um, for the kids who grew up here locally, it's, it's a bigger deal, but um, most of these kids have played against each other in high school or with each other in high school. Some of them are brothers and cousins. And um, so there's some pride there. They, uh, but they've been part of traveling teams together. They've worked out together in the summer. They work out together. I mean, I'm, I'm training a lot of these, these kids all summer who are going to play each other in high school. And they're going to play each other in college. And um, I think and- of all the pictures that, all those quarterbacks you've trained and all the kids who send us pictures after yeah. Friday nights, holding up their bands. Yeah. Someone's just lost. They got their arm around each yeah. other, connecting with each other, yeah. eyes up, do the work, compete without contempt. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, like, they're friends. Yeah. They, they, they want to be each other and everything, but it's not the end of the world. The problem with the rivalry is there's a bunch of knucklehead crazies out there who make this thing out to be, it's like the end of the world if their team loses. Yeah. And I, so if you're one of those, like, if especially you're that guy. Yeah, if you're that guy, if you're, a, you know, a 30, 40, 50 year old man or woman who is losing sleep over an 18 year old kid playing on a football field on Saturday, know that he's not as invested as you are. And that next Monday or Tuesday, when you go to work and you just can't get out of your mind, how, why coach called this, that kid's moved on to the next week's game. He's got, he's in, they, they play another team that following week. He's moved on. He's, he's bummed. They lost, but he's moved on, but his fans. And that's where fans comes from. It comes from the word fanatic, right? So <laughs> there are legitimate, I mean, which makes it fun. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. 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 Fun, it's right? part of the fun. I get it. But 
along our principle of competing without contempt. Cheer for your team, be passionate about it. But every year it seems we hear stories of people doing and saying things that are just embarrassing to, to their school. They're embarrassing to their community. They don't represent that school or that community. There's nothing said by a University of Utah fan or player or by a BYU fan or player to an opposing player or fan that is representative, in my opinion, of 95%. Of, it's the 5% that are crazies that grab the headlines and grab yeah. and make this thing kind of out of control sometimes. For the, everybody else, it's fun. It's exciting. Enjoy it. Um, but uh, make sure that you're, you know, that you can wake up the next day and look yourself in the mirror and not be disappointed with how you acted. <laughs> so it with is. that, enjoy it. It's a great time of the year. <laughs> it is kind of funny sometimes to think, what's going through that person's head as they as they did that, you know, like I, I just crack up sometimes sitting in the stands at football games and some of the things that are, that are yelled down yeah. to an 18, yeah. 19 year old. You can't kid, hear it by the way, you know? Yeah. You yeah. can't hear it from a hundred yards away when you're screaming it from the nosebleeds and he's down on a football field with a helmet on, but you feel <laughs> but like you got to get it off your chest anyway. You're yelling these things and, and we treat these kids as though they're running around there going, Oh, this is a football game. You know, like just, you know, like chasing butterflies or something yeah. instead of doing their job. And, and anyway, it's just, I love this week of the year. I love the, the cultural, the, just the culture of the rivalry and just how yeah. fun it is and how the, the whole state is a buzz. It'd be awesome to keep all the incredible parts of it to keep out yeah. all the, all the crud. So yeah. compete without contempt, even as fans, even 40 year old competitor holding his, <laughs> yeah. his diet Coke now in the stands of Lavelle Edwards yeah. stadium. Just, just be normal. And, and good luck to all the, all the <laughs> E4A athletes that are playing in these games. We've got guys at Oregon, guys at Texas A&M, uh, BYU, Utah, you know, all the Utah universities, but even outside of the state, um, they're they're members of especially for athletes and good luck to all of them stay safe and don't get hurt hopefully and it's exciting to be able to have crowds back in games again and be able to watch football so awesome hope we can keep it yeah well thank you everyone thanks for joining the Sportlight podcast eyes up do the work this has been the Sportlight podcast from especially for athletes sponsored by coca-cola you can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org book. Yeah.